I thought about saving Psalm 119 for the, ne- the very first time that we got to do a uh, potluck meal together again so that you would all have to wait a really, really long time to <laughs> go down and eat. Uh, we are on Psalm 119 today. We are, we are not doing it all in one Sunday. Praise the Lord. And um, we're going we're gonna to chunk it up a little bit. But what we are going to do is over the next, um, next few times that we're working through this text, um, we're going to read it so that in chunks so that by the time we're done, we'll have read Psalm 119 in its entirety as we worship together. I'm getting a little bit of feedback here, Greg, if you want to take it down just a little bit. I can compensate. Psalm 119, verse 1. Today we're going to do 1 through 48. The heading for this psalm is, Your word is a lamp to my feet. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Verse 17. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take, take away from me scorn and contempt for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delights. They are my counselors. Verse 25. My soul clings to dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts, and your righteousness gives me life. Give me life. Verse 41. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. 
Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually, forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. That is Psalm 119, verses 1 through 48. May God bless the reading of his word. We at our house, um, I discovered these. We've had them for a while, but I discovered them this last week. We have a set of conversation starting cards that we keep on our, our Lazy Susan with our silverware in the middle of our, our dinner table. They're simple little cards. There's a stack of them. They're in a clear plastic box, and there's a green back on the card, and then each one of the cards, there's a question that is general enough that kids and adults can answer alike. Um, you get to know each other through these questions. They're meant to be like icebreaker type thing. I was doing this with my three older children the other day, and I pulled a question card that said, which of your five senses would you be most sad to lose? Which of your five senses would you be most sad to lose? And we recognize together, of course, the vitality and, and the vital nature of, of sight, of, he, of seeing, and then hearing as well. But it caused us to stop and think about each one of the ways that God has given us to perceive the world that he has created and how to perceive him as well. Withstanding the two that I mentioned, sight and sound, seeing and hearing, because those seem more vital to my normal operating patterns, uh, I chose taste would be the saddest one I would have to lose. It's totally an extracurricular. I get it. We don't have to taste. The Lord gave us that sense purely for our pleasure, to display his variety and his creativity, to bond his children together with one another with a shared, pleasurable experience around a, a table. So many times in the scriptures, food is referenced. Feasting is referenced. At the end of this age, at the beginning uh, of forever, the forever rule of Jesus, what will we do to, to coronate that time? We will what? Feast. It'll be the marriage feast of the Lamb. Psalm 34, verse 8, invites us to do what? Taste and to see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And so that's what I have named this mini-series on Psalm 119, is taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste here in Psalm 34, meaning to communally come and take pleasure together in what the Lord has whipped up, what he has created in his sovereign kitchen. His desire is that we would come and take our fill of his goodness and his glory, that we would have our emptiness, what? Filled. That we would have a void no longer. That this would be both a pleasurable experience during the feast and then post-feast as we are full and we're feeling that feeling of fullness that is so satisfying. And how does this take place? What do we feast upon? Matthew 4, verse 4, quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8 when it said, when Jesus said, what? Man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. We understand that words have come from the mouth of God. He has communicated to us 
and his communication with us is preserved in the Holy Scriptures that many of you now hold in your hands, that you might scroll through on your phone, that are on the screen behind me. It's the Holy Bible. God used words. He used his words. It's appropriate to pause and give a quick point of application from that concept here. Because the means God has used to communicate with us is speech, is speeching or wording. That should say something to us about ourselves, for we're made in God's image. We should pay particular attention to how the Lord speaks and communicates and measure our own communication patterns accordingly, right? We say we want to be more like Jesus. We become more God-like. The main way we know God is that he is a communicating God. And so therefore, it stands to reason that if I want to become more like Jesus, my communication should become more like Jesus as well. It's a big part of becoming more like Christ, being a better communicator. This is tough. This is tough. Being a better communicator is part of being a Christian. Growing in Jesus means to grow in your communication, how you communicate. Now, that doesn't mean that we all need to become degreed in grammar or speech writing or that we need to be like our resident grammar English teacher over here and have an app on your phone where you diagram sentences. I, that's weird, right? We don't all have to be like that, although we need those people, right? We do, to help us to get better. But the scriptures do say taming the tongue is good. Taming the tongue is good. Thinking biblically about what you say before you say it. Seasoning your words with grace. Measuring your tone against the tones of Christ. Talking more to a person and less about a person. And we've all been both victim and perpetrator in ungodly and bad communication. This little muscle in our mouth that the book of James likens to a rudder on a ship has rammed us into the rocks. It's run us ashore. It's clashed us together with other boats. And so hear me, brothers and sisters, in this next season of ministry at Mount Vernon Baptist Church, especially as we are facing unprecedented, an unprecedented season full of emotions and fear, let's remember this, tru- this truth. You ready? A group of ships with re- well-controlled rudders is called an armada. It's a force to be reckoned with. A group of ships with uncontrolled rudders is absolute chaos. Your tongue is your rudder. Let's control it like Jesus controls it. Let's use it how Jesus uses it. Let's become more like God in our communication. The communication we have received from God himself, we understand, is sufficient. And this is today. This is what we're going to deal with today. The sufficiency of the communication of God to us. But we understand it's sufficient to satisfy our hunger. It's clear enough to be understood. 
meaning we have the senses needed in order to be satisfied by it. Because it's from the author of our hunger, it has the authority to satisfy our hunger. And finally, that we are in desperate need of that satisfaction and it gives the fullness that we need. So scan, sufficiency, clarity, authority, and necessity. God's communication has those four aspects, sufficiency, clarity, authority, and necessity. And directly in the middle of this feast of communication that we call the Holy Bible, the scriptures, seated in the place of prominence at the feast is the longest chapter in the scriptures, 176 verses. It's Psalm 119, the longest and most prominent of the most, I would say, okay, so if we say it this way, you've got a book. In the middle of the book is the Psalms. You always do this in Sunday school, right? We'll see if I get it. Drops open to the Psalms, right? Middle. You ever do that in Sunday school? Maybe it was just me, me and Miss Beverly, because she was my Sunday school teacher. So <laughs> drops open to the Psalms. So placed prominently in the scriptures are the Psalms. Placed prominently in the Psalms is Psalm 119. It sits in the, in the seat of honor at the feast of communication of God. It's 176 verses of delighting in the delights of God's word. As I thought about what, how could I communicate what Psalm 119 is to the rest of the scripture, I thought of this. At VBS, Vacation Bible School, which we will not have this year, unfortunately, but at past years in VBS, uh, Rusty Levings, yes, the, your local city councilman, Rusty Levings, and Greg, the voice Delancey, the guy on the soundboard back there, they have filled a unique role. I have a job title for them. Their job title is Hype Men. Hype, H-Y-P-E, they are hype men, okay? Their role is that through any means legally and ethically possible to get kids as excited about vacation Bible school as they can. Even the most stoic of two cool fifth grade boys cannot stand up to this dynamic middle-aged duo of <laughs> energy drinks and techno beats, okay? If the word of God has a hype man, it's Psalm 119. If this feast of the goodness of God has a maitre d', it's Psalm 119. It's long and it's verbose and it's illustrative and it's extreme and it's poetic and sappy at times. If you were to read this poem, Psalm 119, in Hebrew, you'd see that the psalmist created a stanza for every letter in the Hebrew alphabet. That's what Aleph and Gimel and Daleth, that's what those are. Those are consonants. There's 22 of them in the Hebrew language. And the, the psalmist took and created stanzas, named them after the Hebrew alphabet, and then each word of each line within that stanza begins with that Hebrew consonant. I would liken it to a love-struck newlywed groom writing a poem to his bride, and he'll say, let me, let me recount the ways I love you. A, you're awesome and amazing. B, you're beautiful. C, you are captivating, right? So it's as if the psalmist, he loves 
God's word so much. He says, oh, let me tell you how much I love God's word. I'll number the ways. I'll letter the ways. And I'll use the very means that, that we understand the basis of our Hebrew communication to communicate with you how much I love and enjoy the communication of God. He's the hype man. He, he knows exactly what he's doing. It's communication about the communication of God as the psalmist is experiencing it firsthand. And it's filled with first-person references. I, me, my. Second-person references, you and your. And so my goal is going to be for us to jump into this feast together and allow Psalm 119 to do in, its, in our hearts and minds what it's intended to do, to get our minds right about exactly what it is that we hold in our hands when we have opened a Bible. Brothers and sisters, let us taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen? The word of God is sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary. Let's start at sufficient. Sufficient. Sufficiency. The scriptures contain everything we need for knowledge of salvation and godly living. We don't need any new revelation. If you want to go ahead and turn to Psalm 119, verses 25 through 28, that's where we're going to zoom in today. 25 through 28. No one can say God has not revealed enough for us to be saved or to live a life pleasing to him. Scripture makes us competent and equipped for every good work, like 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 tells us. We do not need to add to it, To meet today's challenges, we do not need to subtract from it to meet with today's ideals. The word of God is perfect and complete and whole, giving us all that we need to know about Christ, salvation, and godliness. Or as the church father Athanasius put it, the sacred and divinely inspired scriptures are sufficient for the exposition or the exposing of the truth. There is a book... Um, called Taking God at His Word. Kevin DeYoung wrote that book. We have four copies of it. I was gonna grab one so I could hold it up and show you, uh, but they're right at the Welcome Center. We have four copies of it. They're 10 bucks for the hard copy. Um, if you, I don't think we're really doing bookstore exchanging stuff right now, so if you just wanna leave your 10 bucks uh, at the Welcome Center, take a copy. There's four copies of it. First come, first served. Uh, it's a, I, I, he was my, he has been my and will continue to be my conversation partner as we work through S-C-A-N together. But I want to give you a quote. By the way, if you're a Kindle person, it's seven bucks. So seven bucks Kindle, $10 hard copy back there. I want to give you a quote from Kevin DeYoung. Of the four attributes of scripture, this may be the one that evangelicals, meaning us, struggle with the most. If authority is the liberal problem, clarity the postmodern problem, and necessity the problem for atheists and agnostics, then sufficiency is the attribute most quickly doubted by rank-and-file church-going Christians. We can say all the right things about the Bible and even read it regularly, but when life gets difficult or just a bit of boring, we look for new words new revelation, and new experiences to bring us closer to God. We feel rather ho-hum about the New Testament's depiction of heaven, but we are mesmerized by the accounts of school-aged children who claim to have gone there and back. From magazine articles about the need for personal and extra-biblical revelation from God to best-selling books where God is depicted as a giving giving special private communications, we can easily operate as if the Bible were not enough for us. 
If we could only have something more than the scriptures, then, then we could be really close and know Jesus and know his love for us. The problem with this thinking is this. God's redemption for us is intimately tied to the finality and sufficiency of his revelation to us. That's a very important sentence. So I'm gonna say it again to make sure you get it. God's redemption for us is intimately tied to the finality of his revelation to us. This is what the author of Psalm 119 knows innately. Let's look at verses 25 through 28. Daleth is the heading. My soul clings to dust. Give me life. Give me life according to your word. When I, told of, when I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate upon your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to what? Your word, your communication. I want to draw out for you verse 25, the header and footer of this, of this section my soul clings to dust. Give me life according to your, say it, your word. Verse 28, my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word, your communication to me. The word, the psalmist knows that God's communication, his word to him is sufficient to give life and strength. Life and strength. The author of Psalm 119 was in tune with two very important truths. The revelation of God, the word of God, is the way. It is the way that God gives life and strength to his people. Sin has cursed us. Sorrow melts us. Our dustiness of sin, our finiteness clings to us. But the word gives life and it cleanses the psalmist. And he knows this. It's like when, you've, when you, I was out working in my yard yesterday and I was, it was, you know, it was a nice day, but it was hot and I was mowing and I was doing things and I, I got really hot and sweaty and I needed a drink and I needed to do what? Come inside and take a, a clean shower. And as I was in the shower, all the, the dust and particles of things, you know, you get that you know, for those of us that got the thick neck, you get the ring, right? And it's just clinging. And as I, I sat under the cool water, it washed over my head and it washed away. And there was nothing I could do. I could have rubbed myself, but I needed a total body cleansing. Sin has cursed us like this. It clings to our souls like dust on a high, dry, hot day. It melts our joy away. The word of God, his communication to us is the only and sufficient source of life and strength. Nothing else will do. The pushback that rightly comes is that this author, the psalmist, is talking about the Old Testament law, is he not? This is Psalm 119, so chronologically speaking, no Jesus yet. So are we to go back and be practicing Jews? Is that the, is that the imperative of this text in order to reap the benefits of the word that the psalmist is talking about? 
Psalm, or excuse me, John chapter one, verse one. Ready? In the beginning was the word, and the was with God, and the was God. Say it again. There you go, word. In the beginning was the and the was with God, and the was God. Capital W. We understand because the New Testament understands that the law and the prophets were a part of God's unfolding revelation pointing towards Jesus as the crescendo, which by the way, you can replace the word in John chapter one with the name Jesus and it it would be theologically correct. That's what John is talking about. Because the New Testament understands that the law and the prophets were a part of God's unfolding revelation pointing towards Jesus as the ultimate manifestation of God's life and strength of giving. It was the ultimate expression of God's communication, his word to his people. So to go back to our first metaphor of a feast, the ages and characters revealed in scriptures are like the different courses of a meal. Okay, if we're at the feast of God's communication, different courses, same feast. Different flavors and purposes with the ultimate goal of giving life and strength to his people. With Jesus as the main course. All other courses serving as heightening of our senses and setting us up to receive the life and the strength that flows from the word, capital W, word. Hebrews, that's why I had Pastor Matt read Hebrews chapter one, verses one through four. If we could pull that up, I wanna go back to that real quick. It is expressed well what I'm talking about, the bridge that exists between what the psalmist was talking about with little w word and what the New Testament is talking about with big w word as Jesus. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, First course, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, main course, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited and more is more excellent than theirs. So a few things from that text. The Son is the heir of all things. Everything culminates in Christ. The mission work of this age is to bring Christ what rightfully belongs to him. The Son, number two, the Son is the creator of all things. Though the second person of the Trinity is not mentioned by name in the creation account, we see in Genesis that God created by the action of his divine what? Speech, his word. The word, this word, is to be identified with the word, big W, who came later, became incarnate. We know him as Jesus. Third, the sun is the sustainer of all things. Every proton, every electron, every compound, every particle and planet, every star and galaxy is upheld by the power of his word. The sun is the revelation of God. He is the manifestation of God's presence, not merely a reflection of the divine glory, but the radiance of it as well. He is the exact imprint of God, it says, tells us in the scriptures. Same in essence and nature, Christ shows us who God truly, as God truly is. 
The son made purification for our sins. Number five, he took away the stain and guilt of sin, not just as a shadow of greater things to come, like former sacrifices in the Old Testament system. Those were a shadow of things to come. As if you, if you keep reading in Hebrews, you'll find it wasn't the blood of bulls and goats, but the blood of the word himself that atoned for sins. He took away the stain and guilt of sin, not just as a shadow of greater things to come, but as the substance of all that has been prefigured. The son sat down like a mom sits down at the end of the day because the kids are finally in bed and she is done. She wipes her hands and sits down. So Christ sat down at the right hand of God because his work had been accomplished. His enthronement was complete. And finally, from Hebrews, the son therefore has become much superior to the angels. To the angels. The big idea of Hebrews chapter one, verses one through four is that God has spoken by his son. This son is superior to all persons, heavenly beings, institutions, rituals, and previous means of revelation and redemption. Jesus said, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. I came not to get rid of all the words that had become previously, but I came to capitalize the W. I'm the word made flesh. I am the revelation of God. That's the big idea of Hebrews chapter one, verses one through four. Jesus is superior to the angels, to Moses, to Joshua, to Aaron, to Abraham, to Melchizedek, to the author of Psalm 119, to King David, the old covenant, the tabernacle, the high priest, the treasures of this world. He's superior to Mount Sinai, and he's superior to every city we have here on earth. The Son is the final and great superlative, surpassing all others, all other revelations previously given by God. So what does this have to do with the sufficiency of Scripture to give us life and strength from Psalm 119, verses 25 and 28? God has definitively made himself known. Christ has once for all paid for our sins. He came to earth, lived with us, lived among us, died on a cross, and cried out in his final moments, it is finished. We are no longer awaiting another king to rule over us. We need not another prophet like Muhammad. There can be no further priest to atone for our sins. The work of redemption has been completed and we must not separate, remember from earlier, we cannot separate redemption from revelation. You cannot separate the redemption of Christ what he did when he became flesh from the word of Christ as he is. With God, the point of revelation, here it comes, big sentence. With God, the point of his communication is always redemption. He doesn't speak unless it's giving life and strength. When he speaks, out of his mouth flows life. Out of his mouth flows strength. And so it only, only is necessary to then logically reason that the ultimate expression of God and his communication being the word capital W would be the ultimate expression of life strength giving to soul dust clinging sinners like you and me and the psalmist who wrote Psalm 119. 
The words of the prophets and the apostles are not meant to make us smart, but to get us saved. Revelation, redemption reveals. Revelation redeems. And Christ is both. He is God's full and final act of redemption and God's full and final revelation of himself. Even the later teachings of the apostles were simply the remembrances and embracing of what Christ had done. You follow me? Chronologically speaking, Jesus dies. There's still things that happen that we have inscripturated with the epistles from the Apostle Paul and the other apostles, right? But they are not expounding new revelation. They're simply exposing the revelation that had already taken place. The final word, capital W, that was Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 26. John chapter 16, verses 13 through 15 for your scripture references on that point. So am I saying then that God no longer speaks? Is that what I'm saying? No, not at all. But we must think carefully about how he speaks in these last days. God now speaks through his son. There is nothing more to say. Hear me. With the expression, with the capitalizing of the W, what else do we want him to say? How much more life and strength could he give than that which flows from his son who died on a cross for you and for me? God doesn't need to say anything more because he said what he said was sufficient. He doesn't need to pile on verbs. Scripture is enough. Hear me. Scripture is sufficient and it's enough because Christ is sufficient and enough. They go hand in hand, revelation and redemption. They stand or fall together. And as the psalmist knew that the word of God with a little w gives life and strength, we know that the word of God made flesh is sufficient to give us life and strength as well. And so what? So what, Pastor Kurt? You seem really excited about this. So what? Another quote. Since the Bible is sufficient, we can expect the word of God to be relevant to all of our life. God has given us all that we need for life and for godliness, to be resurrected and to be strengthened. 2 Peter 1, scripture is enough to make us wise for salvation and holy unto the Lord. 2 Timothy 3, if we learn to read the Bible down into our hearts, across the plot line of scripture, out to the end of the story and up to the glory of God in the face of Christ, we will find that every bit of the Bible is profitable for us. To affirm the sufficiency of Scripture is, to not, is not to suggest that the Bible tells us everything we need to know about everything. But it does tell us everything we, know, we need to know about what matters most. Understand that. You're not going to find your answers to all your scientific questions in the Scriptures. It's not a science book. But what it has said about science is absolutely true and sufficient. Okay? You're not going to find all the answers to every single thing. It's not a how-to book on, on marriage. But what it does say about marriage is true and sufficient. 
Scripture does not give exhaustive information on every subject, but on every subject which it speaks, it only says what is true. And in its truth, we have enough knowledge to turn from our sin, to find our Savior, to be cleansed, to be given life, to make good decisions, to please God, and to get to the root of our deepest problems. It's in here. It's in here. Meditate on this sentence with me. This is going to get awkward because I'm going to be silent because I'm about to say a sentence, and then you need to meditate on it for a second. When you open the Bible, this is, I got to preface the, the heck out of this thing because you'll hear this a lot, but I want you to stop and think about what I'm about to say. When you open the Bible, you are hearing the voice of God. When we gather here together and a preacher reads the word, it's not the preacher speaking, it's God. When you read the Bible to your children, they cease to hear your voice and they start hearing God's. Do you want your children to know the Lord? Then stop talking long enough to let God talk. His word brings life and strength. O soul, are you wearied and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Open your ears to the word. It is sufficient to give you strength. The word is more than enough for the people of God to live their lives to the glory of God. And so brothers and sisters, read it. Listen to it. Pray it. Learn it, study it, obey it, sing it, memorize it, quote it, speak it to your friends on your front porch. Talk about it as you feast. Dwell on it as you fast. Use it as handwriting practice for your eight-year-old. Comfort with it. Rebuke with it. Forsake money-making opportunities so that you can spend more time with it. Get excited about it. Laugh over it. Weep over it. Use it to kill your sin. Allow yourself to be fathered by it. Come back to it when you drift from it. Let it prod you from sloth and rest you from toil. Shout it to the heart of hearing. Whisper it to your sleeping babies. Preach it to the lost. Preach it to the saved. And preach it to yourself. To know the word, little w, is to know the word, big W. 
Not just to know, not just, not just knowing like I know things here, but to know, to, you know what I mean, to know the word is to know the word. Many will cry, Lord, Lord, when they stand before the word, big W, and he will say, depart from me, I never knew but we preached in your name and we spoke in your name and we, we had facts about you, Jesus. Know the word. Know the word. God has spoken to you and he has spoken to me. And brothers and sisters, with all that I am, I promise you, from the word of God, it is enough. Let's pray. Almighty Heavenly Father, you have spoken to us definitively and sufficiently through your word. As the psalmist rightly understood your word as the only sufficient source of life and strength, Lord, feed us from it. Give us that life and strength when we feast on your word. Like the honey that brighten the eyes of your servant, Jonathan. We know that when your word hits our lips through the illumination of the Holy Spirit, we will taste and see that you are good and that you will give life where there was death and strength where there was weakness. You have promised these things. You have spoke it, and so we know it will come to pass. In the name of Christ our Savior, the word made flesh, we pray. Amen.